Today is the second Sunday of our core value being the gospel. So our, our core values, you can see right back here, are the Bible. We did that for a couple of weeks. And now we're looking at the gospel. And then uh, for the next couple of Sundays after that, we're going to look at what is the body of Christ? What, is it, what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ? Um, so one thing I, I know I've not been good at and some criticism I've received when I preach uh, especially when I preach in front of other preachers, is that I, I always lack application at the end of my sermon. That's one of my weaknesses that I know I've been trying to work on. And when I, when I say application, it's answering the question for you and for me, when we hear the, the word of God proclaimed, what do I do now? Or how does this change my life moving forward? So that's what application would be. Um, and this is, because, this is partly because God wired me as, as a creative and as a visionary. So I can have these really creative things. And you can ask some guys that, that I'm really close with and tight with here at Redeemer. We came into this building and I was like having all these like, man, this, we could do this here, we can do this here. And they're like, okay, how are we gonna make it happen? I'm like, I don't know, that's why I have y'all here. you know. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how my brain works. And it, it, it can be frustrating to people, uh, but I know it, it can be a weakness too. But I don't wanna leave us there this morning. Last week, we, we, as best we could, we defined the gospel. And it was this 30,000 foot view, and, and it can sometimes seem ambiguous. It can seem kind of nebulous, like this idea that's just kind of out uh, about what the gospel is. But today I want to answer the question, how does the gospel change my life even in the day to day? If I'm a Christian, how does the gospel change my life in the day to day? And this, this is also going to help look at why Redeemer longs to be or is, is, has this desire to be, our church longs to be a gospel-centered church. You might have never heard that before in your life, and that's okay. Uh, and that can be kind of a catchword today in churches. It can be like, oh yeah, we're gospel-centered. And you want to say, well, show me what you mean by what, when you say you're gospel-centered. So we want to do our best in that. And the truth about our culture is, that we're always looking for the next best thing. Think about when you scroll through social media and an ad pops up and that ad is designed to make you desire that thing that has popped up because it makes your life a lot easier. You can be skinny, you can be this person, you can look this way, you can have these things. That's the way ads on social media are designed to get your attention and there's algorithms that are placed inside of social media so that you can click on that ad and you can see how easy it is to order that thing off of Amazon. Is it not that easy? Have any of, have any of us fallen prey to that, that you just click on it and it sends you directly to the link on Amazon? Okay, that's, it's been true for me too because I know that it'll make my life a lot easier. But here's a point of honesty for you. Is this just another gospel that our hearts and our minds want to believe? Is it another gospel that we want to believe? That if I just get this thing, if I, if I just have this thing, if I just buy this thing, that it'll make my life a lot easier. So last week when I defined the gospel, I left something out and it was almost intentional as I thought and prayed through how to best define what the gospel is. And if you're a visitor with us this morning, you're like, oh, 
it'll make you nervous, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you now. It's going to make you a little nervous. I left out heaven and I left out hell. So many Christians today are enamored by the fact that Jesus came to save them from hell and give them their best life now. And it doesn't change one iota of how they live their lives. So is heaven a reality for those who die and put their trust in Christ alone for their salvation? Yes. Is hell a reality for those who die in their sins and they have not put their trust in Christ alone for their salvation? Yes, it is. And I could spend a lot of time this morning on the realities and the complexities of heaven and hell. And as we make our way through the Bible, as we preach through the Bible, we will have to tackle and navigate these difficult topics such as these, heaven and hell, in greater detail. And Jesus, I want you to know this, Jesus in the New Testament spends more time talking about hell than He does heaven any, than anyone in the New Testament. He spends a lot of time talking about what hell is and what people will experience in hell. So let me say this very, really quickly. What makes heaven heaven? Now, I want to be as sensitive as possible. My dad, I believe my dad is in, in the presence of Almighty God at this moment. Do I long to see my dad? Yes. But even more than longing to see my dad, I long to see the face of my Creator. That's who my dad longed to see too. So what makes heaven heaven? What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. That's the, that's, that should blow us away. The fact that God is in heaven and that we, if you are in Christ and you die, and you, you die in Christ, you will experience Him in His fullness. So what makes hell, hell? Hell is the fact, not that God is not there. But in the very same way His presence is in heaven, His presence will not be in hell. I want to answer that. I want, I want you to know this. Hell is eternal, conscious, anguish, suffering, and punishment by the wrath of God forever. Not by demons and the devil or anything you've seen on TV, but it's Almighty God pouring out His wrath on that person for eternity. And you're like, okay, it's Mother's Day, Ricky. Can we, can we ease up a little bit on this? But because I love you, I have to tell you the truth. And here's why. Because I have to stand before God one day and because I committed myself to teaching and preaching the Word of God, I will help be held in double account. And if I leave things out of what I preach to make them easy believism or it's easy to hear, I could be damnable in that moment. I could stand before God and it could be true about me in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did, did you not see what I did? Did you not see that I, I did all these good things? And he's going to be like, don't know who you are. I don't know you. Intimately, I don't know you. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. I want to see Jesus' words on this really quickly. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26. 
says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in where? In hell. Those are, those are tension-filled words from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself saying, Hey, don't fear man. Fear the one who can kill your body and kill your soul. So, it is a terrifying thing to fall, if you are not in Christ, to fall into the hands of a living God. But if you are in Christ, there is no safer place to be than the hands of God. And out of them you will never fall. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But it is the safest place to be if you are in Christ. Because He will never let you go. So I need to, I need to say a couple of things before we just completely move on from that. And we move to our gospel implications. How does the gospel change my life? So I grew up in a pastor's home. And growing up in a pastor's home, guess what we do every summer? We go to church camp. Okay, We go to youth camp. So we go to youth camp, and Monday night is great. The worship team is great. And the evangelist gets up there, and he's got this really good message. And it's like, man, this makes me real feel really good. And then Tuesday, it's kind of the same thing. And then Wednesday, you know, you've got a girlfriend by then. And, you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot of fun to church camp, okay? And then Thursday night is when they really lay it on thick. I mean, the band, they come out, and they sing the saddest song that they have. And then the evangelist gets up there, and he's like, you can't die without Jesus Christ. And it's just this message and he just lays it on thick. And then the, the invitation time is just, just this long drawn out thing and there's people crying and there's boogers and people are like hugging each other. And you know, and there's this like, there, there's this, this rededication time, which I've never seen in scripture, okay? There's this rededication time. And, and I remember getting saved, quote unquote, early on. And then every year at camp, I would rededicate my life, okay? And then I would go back home and my life didn't look any different. And this was, this was a lot of times what the evangelists would preach on hell so much that it scared kids that they would come and, and they would quote unquote repent of their sin and they would be converted. And I, I, can't, I can't judge whether that conversion was true or not, but I, I had friends who would be converted every year and they would be baptized every year. And their life didn't look any different every year. Because, and, and I'll tell you this, point of honesty, because I was in that group with them as a pastor's kid. Okay? Pastor's kids and cop kids. Okay? That's how you know. <laughs> you know a lot of things by just saying that. So I want to answer this question. How do I know that I'm a Christian? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. It says this. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him 
who for their sake died and was raised. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 17 is key. You are, when you are converted to Christianity, when you come to Christ and you repent of your sin and you look to Christ for salvation alone, you are made a new creation. Okay, so look at me for just a minute. The excuse that I've always been that way doesn't work anymore. Because I love you, I have to tell you that. Because, because I love the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to tell you that when you are a new creation, you can't lean on the excuse that I've always been that way. Or that's just something that I continue to struggle with. Now, do we continue to struggle as Christians? Yes, we do. We continue to struggle as Christians. But we should be continually made into the image of Jesus Christ so that we no longer want that sin any longer. We want to be righteous. We want to please God. Paul Washer, an evangelist with Heart Cry Ministry, says this, A true converted person is changed. There are new desires inside of them. They hate the sin they once loved and love the righteousness they once hated. I love the way he says that. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 24. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I think I read one too far. Turn back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, underline it in your Bible, okay? Put circles around it. Put stars around it, okay? This is Galatians 2.20 is the mission statement of the Christian. Okay? It says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Die to self, live to Christ. That is the mission statement of the Christian. So, want to define what is a gospel-centered life and why is Redeemer aimed at being a gospel-centered church? If you were to try and define what it means to be gospel-centered, it might take time. And over time, we will define it. It is this, okay? It is a life that is focused on the gospel. The gospel is at the heart of all that is done. The gospel is the engine that drives the car. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. Okay? So where's, where's the idea of being gospel-centered in the Bible? Look at 1 Corinthians 
It was our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. I love the way Paul puts this in verse 3. He says, first, this is of first importance. The gospel is the very first thing we preach. If you were here the very first Sunday that when we launched Redeemer, guess what you heard? The gospel. Guess what you heard last Sunday? The gospel. Guess what you'll hear next Sunday? The gospel. Guess what you'll hear on the Sunday that I retire? The gospel. And guess what you'll hear the Sunday after I retire? The gospel. Because the gospel is what has to drive all that we do, even in the New Testament letters that were not written by Paul, the more you read and the more you study them, they have the gospel at the very heart of what they are about. So I want to show you a couple of pictures. Are those, do we still have those? Are those working? Okay. You might have seen this picture, and this might be what you think the gospel is. Now, I want you to, I want, I want to say this. This picture, all of it is very true, okay? So when you're, you're trying to explain the gospel to someone, you say, okay, here we are, mankind's over here. And then Jesus, on his death on the cross, gaps this chasm in between us and God because of our sin, okay? So this is all a very good thing. It's very true, okay? But the gospel is not just the doorway into the Christian faith, but it's the path to walk, Okay, it is not just the means of our salvation, but the means of our transformation. The gospel does not just deliver us from sin's penalty, but it releases us from sin's power. It does not just make us right with God, but also helps us to delight in God. The gospel changes everything. Okay, now let's look at this second picture. Can you throw that up there? Okay. All right, this, is, this picture, I believe, is more helpful to think about the gospel, okay? So we're, walk, we're, we're living life, and then we're... Uh-oh, we lost the picture. Can we get that back? Okay, so then you are converted, and these two arrows that are here, okay, is the way that we're growing, okay? The way that we're growing. We're growing in awareness of God's holiness and in awareness of my sinfulness, And as we grow in both of those things, 
The, the cross looms larger. The gospel looms larger. The gospel is more and more important in my life. Because I'm aware that I cannot approach God on my own righteousness. And that I need a Savior to save me from my sin. And that happened at conversion. And the more and more I grow in that awareness, the cross looms larger and larger and larger in my life. And that's when we begin to see what it means to be gospel-centered. Is that picture helpful for you? For you to see, to grow in your awareness of God's holiness and in your awareness of your sinfulness that we are constantly repenting of our sin. Martin Luther, back in the, in the 1500s, wrote the very first line uh, of the 95 Theses that he nailed on the Catholic Church door there in All Saints Church. The very first line there says, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. That we are constantly turning from our sin and we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So how does the gospel change how I live? Is a growing awareness of my sinfulness and my growing awareness of God's holiness. This does not plunge me into despair, but into the arms of an awaiting Savior. It is clear throughout the whole of the Bible's narrative that the only, listen to me, the only thing you contribute to your salvation. You're like, oh, tell me. Tell me, tell me what I can do, Ricky. Tell me. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that needs to be forgiven. That's the only thing you bring to the table. And I want you to hear this this morning. That when you come to Christ, He will not turn you away because you are too sinful. He will come to you and wash you and cleanse you with His blood and He will make you a new person. So what is gospel confidence for the Christian? If you are in Christ, what does gospel confidence look like? For the Christian, there is an awareness of who you are in Christ. You are mesmerized by God's amazing grace. Look, at, look back at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in His grace towards me was not in vain. By God's grace, I am what I am. It is not because I cleaned myself up and came to God. It's because I came to Him as I was. And He cleansed me and made me a new creation. Look at Romans chapter 7. We're going to end our time here. Romans chapter, I only said it once, Nick, so. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 22. says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And this is Paul speaking. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen to, listen to Paul's words here. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Romans 8.1 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Christian, we should throw ourselves wholly on this verse. That when when we are saved by Him, that when He looks at me, He doesn't see my sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of His Son. And when we are united to Christ, there is no ununiting from Him. There is no, I'm, I'm going to get tired of you if you continue to sin and I'm just going to be like, forget it. Forget it. God's desire to make you more like Christ is stronger than the desire for you to sin. Let me say that one more time for the Christian. God, your desire to sin is not as great as God's desire to save. In 1971, John Lennon, the former band member of the global phenomenon known as the Beatles, wrote and recorded a song he named Imagine. You know the song, Imagine? In this song, John Lennon writes of a utopian society where there's no religion, there's no war, there's no hunger, among many other things. Lennon, John Lennon longed for harmony among humanity. And for there to always be unity and especially peace. Now, was, all of, was this wrong of John Lennon to desire? Absolutely not. But because we live in a world plagued by sin, death, and destruction, until Christ returns, I want to pose this to the late Mr. Lennon and to you as well. Imagine a church who is humble in prayer and bold in its proclamation of the good news. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Imagine a church who is unified and knowledgeable in all things Bible and generous with her neighbor. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Imagine a church who does not shrink back, sit back, lay down or die in the face of cultural pressures. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Imagine a church who is confident in Christ the King who purchased her and does not bend its ears to the whisper of the enemy. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Because she believes the gospel. Imagine a church who is anchored in truth even when she's the only one standing against the powers and principalities of this modern age. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Imagine a church triumphant, strong, and kind in the face of adversity. Why? Because she believes the, go the gospel. Imagine a church on its knees, fighting with no fear, sword in one hand and trowel in the other, knowing that her foe has been vanquished. Why? Because she believes the gospel. Imagine with me a church amazed by the grace of God, changed by the word of God, and ready to stand in the presence of God. Why? Because she believes the gospel. I want to invite you into this. If you are in Christ, I want to invite you into this. There is a very real war to fight. And we are in the middle of it. Imagine with me a church fighting on its knees in prayer, tears streaming down their faces for this city. Imagine with me a church who truly believes 
that the gospel is at the very heart of all that we do. Because we believe the Bible and because we love each other. I'm making this invitation open to you if you are in Christ. I'm inviting you into this. And if you're not in Christ this morning, I'm inviting you in. The invitation is open to you today. That Christ stands with His arms wide open to welcome you home. I'm pleading with you to turn from your sin and look to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. We will all stand before God one day and we will have to give an answer. And if your answer is not Christ alone, then your answer will not be sufficient. Let's pray.